If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear, check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner, check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the latest episode of the Bike Radar podcast and the first in our series of Tour de France podcasts. I'm your host, George Scott, the editor of BikeRadar.com, and I'm joined today by our technical writer, Simon Bromley, and assistant editor, Jack Luke. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hi, George. How are you doing? Excited for this year's tour? Very excited, Jack. And that, of course, is the reason why we're here on the Tour de France podcast or the Bike Radar Tour de France podcast today, because the Tour de France starts tomorrow. Are you excited for the Tour de France, Jack? Yes, I'm sure it's going to be a bonanza of new tech that'll be keeping me up late at night, penning great juicy scoops for Bike Radar for the next couple of weeks. How about you, Simon? Are you excited for this year's tour? I am excited for this year's tour. Yeah, you know, I am a pro cycling fan and the... It, you know, it's not very. It's not always necessarily the kind of most uh, fashionable thing to love the Tour de France, but it is the race where we see everyone on top form and all the big boys turn up. And so, yeah, I'm really, really excited. It is the creme de la creme, isn't it? And I know what you mean. It doesn't necessarily have the kind of the romance of the Giro in some respects, or you know, perhaps kind of the, the crazy route that we've seen in the Vuelta in recent years, or the kind of the lure of the classics. But as they say, the Tour is the Tour. So, joined today by Jack and Simon. Jack is one of our kind of uh, in-house tech nerds, along with Simon. So we'll be talking about some of the Tour de France tech that we expect to see at this year's race, some of the trends that might emerge over the next few weeks. But of course, we're also going to talk about this year's route and the contenders and who we will be putting our money on for this year's Tour de France. So, Simon, do you want to kick us off and talk a little bit about the 2021 Tour de France route and what we can expect from this year's race? Yeah, so let's kind of, uh, we'll give you a kind of rundown of the kind of overall trends of the race. So there are eight flat stages, five hilly stages, six mountain stages with just uh, three summit finishes. And then there are two individual time trials, which is uh, the first time since 2017 that there have been two individual time trials because in uh, recent years, Tour de France has been kind of cutting down on time trial kilometers. So you know, for someone like me who's into time trials, that's very fun. Obviously, it'd be two rest days, 
And uh, there will also be a double ascent of Von 2 on stage 11, which will be very interesting. And there's also a 248-kilometer stage in this year's Tour de France, which is stage 8. And that's one of the longest, I think, since the year 2000. So a kind of more of a return to maybe a traditional... Tour de France style route with a mixture of kind of mountain stages, a f- you know, a peppering of summit finishes and a few and a few more time trials. So I think it's yeah, it's more of a traditional Tour de France route than perhaps we've seen in recent years, where we've seen maybe more summit finishes. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting to see that that trend back towards time trials and you know almost the opposite to what we saw last year or, or certainly in 2019, where there are only 27 kilometers of individual time trials in 2019 and up to 58 this year so you know almost double but I think it's definitely worth saying that you know even that is perhaps half of what we were used to seeing back in the early 2000s wasn't it Simon? Yeah I mean the the, this is something we commented last year in one of our Tour de France podcasts but the kind of the time trials kilometers have been dwindling in the Tour de France in recent history and that you know that's for a number of reasons I think you know I mean mainly they, they don't make great tv and I know that Obviously, you know, the Tour de France is a commercial event and I think uh, spectators perhaps find the time trials not as good to watch. And that's typically because they have to, you know, they, they take place on kind of flat or rolling roads. Now, last year we did have a very interesting time trial, which really shook up the race. And I imagine has reignited a bit of passion for it because it finished, it kind of had a kind of rolling opening section and then went up a mountain <laughs> <laughs> and really shook up the GC. But but you know, typically a time trials tends to be, you know, typically it tends to be a flat stage, and I think the big stages for TV numbers at the Tour de France are always mountain stages. But it's not often you get a kind of mountain time trial because the you know the time the time if you went over a mountain and down the other side, the time gaps potential could be huge. And so I think uh, you know, the, the kind of organisers are kind of wary of putting in too many time trials because it favours the kind of big budget, well-organized teams who can throw money at the wall, get their riders into the wind tunnel for hours and hours and hours of testing and, you know, getting the new kit and and the new skin suits and all that stuff. We'll come on to that a bit later maybe, but the time gaps have, you know, ever since the kind of, ever since Team Sky came along, really, time gaps in time trials have been huge. And I think the tour organizers have been trying to put a a lid on that to a degree. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how the race pans out, but it feels like we've got quite a a kind of delicately balanced tour this year in terms of the route. So, uh, I mean, there will always be, you know, a a significant number of climbs or a huge number of climbs in the tour and, you know, it goes through the Alps and then onto Vontu on stage 11 and then into the Pyrenees. So, you know, we've got the full kind of smorgasbord of kind of French classic climbs, um, but only three summit finishes. And so, you know, if you kind of take those three summit finishes and then balance them against... 58 kilometers of individual time trials you know it does give the likes of Geraint Thomas perhaps a real shot at this year's tour where he can kind of you know perhaps try and make up some time in the TTs and you know obviously a brilliant climber as well and then going ahead against the likes of Tade Bogotcha kind of coming out of last year's tour as the defending champion um, perhaps slightly more at home in the mountains again a brilliant time trialer but quite interesting to see kind of how the race will pan out between those two um and then throwing Primoz Roglic in the mix, the mix as well. So, you know, they're kind of the three big names going into this year's tour. But, you know, in, at Ineos, you've got four Grand Tour winners heading up that lineup. So can you talk us through the Ineos lineup and perhaps what we can expect to see from them? Yeah, so I think what's interesting about the Ineos lineup is, as you say, they kind of have uh, four leaders who, you know, in, in any other team would be the kind of number one contender. So obviously... 
you mentioned Geraint Thomas, but there's also uh, Richard Carapaz, you know, former Giro d'Italia champion and, and fresh off a Tour de Suisse win. Uh, we've got Theo uh, Gagan Hart, who obviously won the Giro d'Italia last year, and uh, Richie Port, who won the Criterium du Dauphiné this year and finished on the Tour de France podium last year. So, you know, that, that, <laughs> that that's already a quite a stacked team. And I think... I think you described them all as fiery biscuits in the planning <laughs> meeting for this, which I thought was very apt. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the interesting thing would then be, obviously, they've got a, you know, they've got a kind of selection of of ruler domestiques to kind of shepherd them and, you know, go fetch water bottles and, and you know, and rain jackets and all those important duties. I think the interesting thing will be, you know, in the third week when push comes to shove, which one of those four is going to sacrifice their chances for someone else. And, and you know, we've, we've sort of seen this happen before and say with uh, Team Movistar and, and obviously there's that series on Netflix, which you know, is very good. I would recommend watching it. I can't remember the name, but I'm sure if you Google it, you can find it. But they turned up to the Tour de France with uh, the trident <laughs> of uh, Mikel Lander, Alejandro Valverde, and I believe it might have been Quintana at that point. I can't remember who, but they had a third rider. But anyway, it didn't work out because obviously they didn't really ride as a team. The kind of Valverde looked after himself. Mikel Lander kind of looked after himself. And, it, it, you know, splitting your resources between three people or four people, you know, you end up spreading yourself quite thinly. Now, you know, Dave Brailsford is the team manager. And so you think, well, there's the British connection there. He'll obviously favour Geraint Thomas. But I think, you know, the 2019 tour which uh, was won by Agamba now with Geraint Thomas finishing second. You know, I think Brailsford will back the rider he thinks is going to win. So if that if it turns out to be Carapaz, you know, who's got a 15-second lead, I think the the call will come down the radio to Geraint Thomas and Port and Gagan Hart to ride. But the question will be, you know, a bit like with <laughs> Froome and Wiggins in 2012, is which one of them, will they say, yeah, sure, go straight to the front, sacrifice my chances, or will they sort of go... Nah, you know, Garrett Thomas is 35. Will he want to sacrifice a chance at winning the Tour de France like how, he did in... I wonder how collaborative these kind of decisions are really from their point of view because, you know, I imagine Brailsford runs a pretty tight ship over there. But like you say, the tail end of your career, you don't really want to throw that away. But yeah, how, how, um, how collaborative a decision do you think that would be for them? So obviously I don't know. Yeah. But... If I was speculating, I would think it's not a collaborative decision. I think mm. I think whoever the kind of DS is in the car, they'll call the shots and they'll get an order. Yeah. And if you know, if you don't follow, you know, you don't have to follow the order. You know, obviously, you know, you're the one turning the pedals. But it's that kind of thing of like, if you go, you know, it's like in any team thing. If you go against a team once, you know, will you, you know, say you go against a team and you get in the yellow jersey, what what happens then? If that, you know, you've then burnt that bridge. With the, with the kind of other rider, will they then turn around and go, oh well, it's all right. I'll just ride for you now because you you know. So yeah, it will be it will be really interesting. I think that's going to be one of the narratives of the race potentially. I mean, it might not even come to that because you know you sort of mentioned uh, Rog Pog earlier, George, <laughs> and and I and I think you know you sort of said that Pogacar is you know we kind of think of him as being a, a superlative climber and more at home in the mountains, but actually he's an incredible time trialer as well. Like he actually won the Tour de France in a time trial last year, beating Primoz Roglic, who we all think of as a time trialing climber, and you know Tom Dumoulin and you know Wout Van Aert and all of these noted time trialists. So 
you know, he's even beaten Primoz Roglic in the uh, Slovenian National Time Trial Championships before, for example. I think there are a lot of good time trialists in this year's Tour de France and so in amongst the GC contenders. And so I think, you know, usually we see time taken in, in the uh, time trials. And like you say, Garrett Thomas will probably be looking to take time in the time trials. But actually, I'm not entirely sure he'll be able to take that much time over people like Pogacar and Roglic. And Ineos might have to ride in a way that they haven't before and take more risks. And rather than, you know, try and do that thing where they simply steamroll the race as they have done in the past, they might just have to fire people up the road and try and use their kind of strength in numbers to put riders like Roglic and Pogacar on the back foot. I mean, it's, it is a really interesting kind of uh, conundrum for for Dave Brailsford and the, the Ineos kind of... Uh, team of DSs, uh, you know, it's the Ineos 4, of we, as we've kind of termed them, which kind of makes them sound like a band of kind of career criminals. <laughs> but, you know, if you, you know, I think what's, what makes it really interesting as well is that, you know, they've all won, well, three of them have won Grand Tours, I think I'm right in saying, Thomas, Carapaz and Gagan Hart. Um, but all four of them are coming into the Tour in really good form. So, you know, Grant Thomas won the Tour of Romandie, um, put in a very strong showing at the Dauphiné, finished on the podium, Richie Port won the Dauphiné, um, was on the Tour de France podium last year and has come back to Ineos, I think, you know, knowing that he's probably in the role as a super domestique, but goes into the race as, you know, as someone who could potentially win it, you know, on a, on a really good year for him. Um, you know, Richard Carapaz, as you say, you know, he's won the Giro before and um, won the Tour de Suisse, one of the other kind of key Tour de France warm-up races. And then Theo Gegenhart, you know, is perhaps a bit, little bit of the outlier there, you know, you know maybe not the kind of, the prestige of the of the other three riders, and that's no disrespect to Gagan, Gagan Hart, of course. You know, having won the Giro last year, um, but a little bit younger at, at 26. So, you know, do you see you know Teo perhaps as the rider most likely to be sacrificed, and then the other three to kind of duke it out as to who will really be the leader on the road, or do you think Thomas is going in as the leader? So I think I think Thomas and Carapaz are going in as kind of two leaders, and like the t- kind of Team Sky Team Ineos way has always been to have, you know, a kind of two leaders just in case you know ever since 2011 when Wiggins went in absolutely you know with diamond legs and then kind of crashed out early on and left Team Sky with you know basically no leader they've always had kind of one or two and and you know it it leads to a certain amount of tension within the squad but I think that competitive tension is something that Dave Brailsford seems to like to kind of propagate so I think those are the two big dogs but like you say you know, Gagan Hart looked really good at the Criterium de Dauphiné. He almost won a summit finish and he was angry not to win a summit finish. I think he felt that he could have won it, but it kind of, they kind of messed up the tactics a little bit. So, you know, he's got a bit of fire in the belly and obviously we, you know, he's a proven grand tour winner, you know, don't win the Giro d'Italia by accident. And he probably is going, you know, as a kind of hits his first Tour de France, he probably is going in a kind of supportive role, but you know, what happens if Garrett Thomas and Richard Carapaz and Richie Port are involved in a crash early on? You know, no, never Garrett Thomas has never crashed in a race before. <laughs> you know, it could happen. I'm, you know, I'm talking hypothetically <laughs> here, you know. <laughs> but you know, we, we we you know, we we tend not to see huge time gaps in the mountains anymore, but where we often see time gaps is in the first week when a general classification contender is caught up in a crash or has a mechanical, and you know, the Peloton doesn't wait. So in a situation like that, if if Teo Gagan Hart ends up a minute ahead of the rest of them, or Richie Port ends up a minute ahead, you know what do they do? 
if the number if Teo is saying, well, you know, like my power, they all know what they're capable of doing. And if my if his numbers say that he's capable, he's climbing just as well as Garrett Thomas, and he's a minute ahead of him, I don't know what they do in that situation. Interesting as well. Yeah, I don't think we'll kind of dwell too much on on Ineos, uh, you know, for much longer. There's, there's a lot more to cover in terms of the Tour de France, but interesting as well the makeup of the rest of the team and how they've kind of balanced that that GC firepower with as you say, kind of defence on the windy stages or the flat stages or when things get a little bit difficult, um, you know, if there are breaks. So I think they're taking Luke Rowe, who's been been a key kind of road captain for them over the last few years. So yeah, you know, really interesting dynamic for for Ineos. Um, so we've obviously got Roglic and Pogacar as the, uh, you know, the two other kind of really key contenders and, and those two, uh, you know, Rog and Pog being the two riders that absolutely went head to head last year with Pogacar overturning Roglic on that final stage time trial. Of those two, Simon, do you see Pogacar coming in as the red-hot favourite to d- defend his Tour de France title or is perhaps Roglic out for revenge? I'm sure, I'm sure he will be, but you know, can he exact revenge? I think you know, it's really interesting with those two because they've not raced recently in the kind of traditional warm-up races like the Dauphiné and the Tour de Suisse. They've, they've kind of like uh, Pogacar rode the Tour of Slovenia. Obviously, he's Slovenian, so I think that was a kind of important race to him personally. And I think Roglic has just been kind of training at altitude, which is, you know, another trend we're seeing recently. Uh, personally, I, you know, if I was going to put my money down on someone, it would probably be Pogacar because his stage racing record for the last couple of years is just extraordinary. And earlier on in the year when he was racing, you know, in the kind of early season races, he looked really, really good. So it's really hard to see unless he just turns up and it just turns out that doing the tour of Slovenia is not a good idea because it's not a good warm-up race and he comes in really undercooked I it's hard to see past him on paper I think Rog I think you know the trouble for Roglic is he doesn't seem to have you know he's a very much a diesel kind of rider in the sense that he can time trial exceptionally well he can climb exceptionally well but he has never quite put the hammer down in the way that say a Chris Froome used to do where you know you attack from four or five kilometers out and you gain significant time on a mountain stage or you gain you know a minute and a half in a time trial um and and so the path to victory for him is kind of is tricky because he hasn't done it before at the Tour de France it's hard you know until he does it it's hard to say oh this is the way he's going to do it you know, Jumbo Visma rode quite conservatively last year because Roglic had faded in the past at previous Grand Tours to a you know to a certain degree. It's all relative, obviously. I was making it sound like he he you know, he he won the Vuelta a España, and you know he's he's a phenomenal rider. You know, I don't think they'll ride that way again because I think last year they perhaps under, underestimated Pogacar. But if they're not going to ride that way. Is Roglic going to put Wout van Aert on the front, really drill it from far down the climb, and then attack Pogacar from far out? I, I, you know, my, my gut feeling is that Pogacar would be able to just follow. So, it, it's hard to see the. Uh, it's hard to see for me Roglic overturning that. But then, of course, you know, like I say, we're not thinking of mechanicals, of crashes, of you know maybe Pogacar having an off day because. You know, he doesn't eat enough food or something. You know, like over a three-week race, anything can happen. Yeah, there's so much at play, and I think you know the opening two stages just to to kind of kick the race off are really interesting. So, um, 
you know, two quite hilly openers for, well, for the first two days up in the northwest corner of France and the Mur de, de Bretagne in the, the second stage. So quite a punchy climb and, you know, not one where we'd be expecting to see, you know, any time gaps for the GC contenders, but quite an interesting opening. And, but you know, it's really when we reach the Alps after the first week where we're really going to see the, the GC battle, um, you know, kind of light up and start to get, a, you know, a kind of inkling as to perhaps who's got the form. So Simon, I think by the sounds of it, your kind of hypothetical bike radar tenors on Tadej Pogacar for the GC win. But you know, Jack, where is your money going to be? Well, Simon's the far more committed uh, racing enthusiast than I am, so I would probably follow him as the safe bet. To be honest, I would I would turn to you as my uh, my guiding light here, Simon. Is that a wise move? Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the odds are. I think you know, Carapaz is a really interesting one. I think you know he's a He's a really tenacious racer and I can see, he's the kind of guy that I can see, you know, I think if you're, if Ineos is going to fire a rider up the road to put pressure on your Pogacars and your Rogliches, I, I, I'm not sure it's going to be Thomas. Thomas is like Roglic, you know, a bit of a diesel in the sense that he can, you know, he's a, he's a kind of noted time trialist. He's not the lightest uh, rider in the GC group, but he can climb exceptionally fast at a kind of constant pace. Whereas I feel like Richard Carapaz offers a bit more explosivity and might be that one who gets fired up the road. And in that situation, if say, you know, uh, Pogacar's team and Roglic's team, you know, if they end up a bit, if those GC contenders end up a bit isolated, then it, then you can, I can see the situation because that's kind of how Carapaz won his Giro. He went up the road, the, the GC group hesitated behind him. There was no one to bring him back. And so I think he might be the kind of, the, the person who, if I wasn't going to bet on Pagachar, I might put my money on. And how about you, George? Upping the stakes since you're the big dog. Maybe we'll call it a bike radar 15 quid. <laughs> <laughs> well, well there, you know, by the sounds of it, we've got 20, 20 quid on Pagachar and maybe a kind of an each way bet on, on uh, Richard Carapaz. But um, so, you know, I'm going to go completely opposite and go kind of heart overhead and, and kind of fly the British flag and, and go for Geraint Thomas, um, you know, partly to, to kind of back our, our fellow Brit. I think it'd be great from British perspective to see Thomas secure a second Tour de France win. You know, I think it's going to be very tough for him. I think he is carrying good form, but, you know, it's such a, uh, you know, a kind of tightly packed roster of GC contenders this year who, you know, it's very difficult to to make a call between them. But yeah, you know, I think if you're back in Pogaccia and perhaps, yeah, an outside bet on Carapaz, I'm going to put my tenner or my 15 quid on Grant Thomas. Perhaps your excellent interview with him on a former or previous bike creator podcast will see a second wind as well if he wins as well well there you go i mean what what kind of motivation does Geraint thomas need than featuring on the bike radar podcast you can find the episode where we spoke to Geraint from uh an early season training camp in tenerife uh in the archives of the bike radar podcast very interesting talks about his build up to the tour this year and his hopes for the olympics later in the year um but yeah best of luck of course to all the gc contenders we never like to see the race decided by mechanicals or crashes but that's the tour you know it can be very interesting from uh you know from a gc perspective simon's got his hand up ready to talk yeah i have to say i don't i, don't, I disagree with that i don't mind seeing the tour de france decided by a mechanical at all because you know if someone has a puncture i don't think anyone should wait for them you chose your tires you made your choice <laughs> you know maybe you should be running tubeless tires and you should have had some sealant in there like personally you know when Con in Chaingate, for example when contador attacked schleck in the 2000 and 11 tour i want to say 2010 2010, 2010. contador had every right to attack schleck you know like his bike failed or he made a misshift or whatever personally contador had every right to stick the knife in and cycling 
is supposed to be it's a competition you know all of these unwritten rules like i just don't i just don't like them i don't like unwritten rules i don't like it at all if you wanted rules then you should write them down yeah i I, i'm sort of with you on that where it is a it's not just a race between riders bikes are part of the fun it's why we have jobs in the cycling tech industry but no crashes we don't want any nasty crashes but again you know like bunch positioning is one of those things as well that you know, if you're if you end up on the wrong side of a of a split because of a crash because you were hanging out at the back of the peloton rather than you know expending more energy to fight for position at the front, you know I think that's a perfectly legitimate. That's a race. That's that's something to do with racing. You know, like I've lost plenty of races <laughs> and no one waited for me <laughs> when I was caught up behind the crash. So you know, I, I obviously like you know, I don't want to see anyone get hurt, mm-hmm. but you know. I, you know, if if the yellow jersey crashes, I don't see why the rest of the race should have to slow down for them. I just don't think it's. I just don't think that's. You know, I, I want. I want to see people stick the knife in. I don't want to see. I don't want to see sportsmanship. Well, there we go. Let's hope for drama at the 2021 Tour de France. You heard it here first. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm inclined to agree, and I think you know by the same token as well. You know, splits from you know kind of crosswinds or windy stages. I think you know that's part of it as well, and having. Uh, you know, as we kind of spoke about earlier, having a team that's set up to take advantage of those situations, both physically and tactically, you know, that's that's part of the tour. You know, you can't you can't bank on the mountains or you can't bank on the time trial. So um, we'll see. We will see what happens. But it sounds like we've got a brilliant GC battle coming up over the next few weeks. So you know, we've spoken about the GC there. Um, the next thing we will talk about is the sprints. Again, another really key part of the Tour de France. And, you know, I think really interesting coming into this podcast recording was the news that Mark Cavendish will be riding the Tour de France. Um, That was breaking news just before we kind of came into the studio to record this and unexpected news as well, Simon. So can you kind of talk about the situation there at um, Quickstep and how that's evolved between Sam Bennett being a shoe-in for the Tour, but now Cavendish coming in in his place? Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I think obviously Sam Bennett, uh, the reigning green jersey champion, if I'm not mistaken, and... You know, obviously, uh, the kind of quick step, he's been their main sprinter for the last few years. And, you know, rightly so, he's been in fantastic form. Uh, but he has had a niggling injury, I believe, recently. And so there was some kind of suggestions that, you know, with Cavendish looking like he might be getting back to somewhere like his old self. And he's had a few stage wins this year, which has been, you know, fantastic to see because I'm a big fan. Um you know, people were sort of saying, oh, is he maybe Cavendish is going to ride the tour. But I think most people kind of thought, well, you know, Sam Bennett will ride the tour because, you know, he's the younger guy. He's the he's the kind of current green jersey holder, blah, blah, blah. But it looks like, uh, you know, perhaps Bennett isn't going to recover from his injury quite well enough. And so Cavendish has been drafted in to uh, ride the Tour de France. And he must be sick of hearing this, but obviously Mark Cavendish is a Tour de France legend. He has 30 stages. Merckx has 34 stages. You know, that's that's only four stage wins away. <laughs> like, And this year's tour, there's a stage finish in Chateau where Mark Cavendish won his first Tour de France stage, I believe, in 2008. So there's a kind of, there's a nice little bit of circular history there. If he was to get another Tour de France stage win, you know, could that, you know, I mean, I mean, we're very unlikely to see a kind of Mark Cavendish five-stage wins Tour de France like we used to see in, say, 2010 or whatever. I don't think this is HTC High Road. But, you know, if he was to win one, you know, we know Mark Cavendish is quite an emotional rider. Would that then give him the momentum to go on and maybe win a second? And if he got to 32 and, you know, he's reignited his career, you know, this this could, 
could be the kind of thing that kicked him back onto their beating that merch record, which, you know, would, I, I personally, I don't think Cav quite gets the kind of recognition he deserves because there's, there's no one in the modern Peloton who comes close to a record like that. He's just, I've really enjoyed following him the last few months where he's doing incredibly well at Quick Step and he, he just seems very happy. You know, he's a very jolly and grateful man uh, for every one of his stage wins. He did a really nice thing the weekend past where I think it was the under 23 champs or something, maybe wherever he lives. And um, he just really likes racing bikes. He's a nice, happy man who's clearly going to have a great time back at the tour, stage wins or otherwise. And I, I hope to see him do really, really well. And, you know, definitely, as you, as you said, Simon, a guy that kind of feeds off of that passion and that will kind of, you know, that that stage six, you know, that's, that's the one that finishes in in Chateauroux where, where he won his first Tour de France stage. You know, Cavendish would have had that stage circled 10 times in the road book when the Tour de France route was announced. But, you know, I think by the looks of it, looking at the route, there are you know, maybe eight potential sprints um, starting on stage three. The first two will probably be too hilly for the for the pure sprinters. Um, eight potential sprints, but you know, one of one or two of those are possibly more like classic stages where you know the pure sprinters like Cavendish might struggle. So, you know, maybe six opportunities for someone like Mark Cavendish to to win a stage. Will he do so? You know, I think the Cavendish story has been really interesting to follow this year with his resurgence at the uh, the Tour of Turkey, and you know, he's a rider who, you know, as you say, is an absolute legend of the sport, and perhaps doesn't get the credit he deserves because of that, but has struggled in the last couple of years for a variety of reasons, but has come back on absolutely red hot form this year. And, you know, it's really interesting to have a Tour de France, not only with Mark Cavendish involved, but potentially as a stage winner. So again, as kind of keen, keen fans of the sport here at Bike Radar, but also with a, a kind of British interest, that's one we will be following with, uh, with eager eyes. So yeah, hopefully watch this space for Cavendish. I think, you know, it's it's fun to you know you just, we start saying this right now and it seems so obvious to think well you know he's won thirty stages before so he knows what he's doing he probably will win another one but the issue is that you know the competition um, amongst the sprints is is pretty you know pretty red hot this year and you, you know, Matthew Van der Poel was riding his first Tour de France and you know, I think he's probably he he's probably the bookies' favourite so my favourite for stage one which finishes on as you say the Mur de Bretagne because he's just so explosive I mean. I'm sure many people uh, watched the Strada Bianchi this year where he <laughs> dropped reigning world champion Julian Alaphilippe like a stone uh, going up the final climb to the finish. Um, but, you know, we've seen him in, we've seen him win flat, uh, fast, flat sprint stages at the kind of uh, Abu Dhabi Tour and Tour, or Tour of Oman earlier this year as well. And so he, you know, he's going to be in the mix for sure. And then there's obviously Wout van Aert of Jumbo Visma. Uh, Tim Melier of uh, Alpsin Phoenix as well. If Matthew Van der Poel decides that he might give someone else a chance, like there's 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 a, there's a lot of sprinting talent. Now I haven't even mentioned Peter Sagan um, and you know Sonny Corbrelli of uh, Bahrain Victorious. So it it's going to be tough, and I, I certainly don't think we're going to see a Cavendish green jersey, for example. No, you know I think you know having the likes of um, Matthew Van der Poel, Wout Van Aert, you know those kind of real. And of course, Peter Sagan, those all-rounders who can perform on any terrain and get in the break on on mountain stages and also pick up intermediate uh, sprint points there. You know that's you know that's really where the, G, the, the sorry the the green jersey battle is going to be this year. Um, but just on that, Simon, if you were to to place a bit on the green jersey, who would your money be on? Obviously, Sagan's got the history, but you know different kettle of fish this year with uh, emerging talents. It's a really it's a really tricky one because again, like on paper, you need know, to say Wout Van Aert would be the prototype 
green jersey rider and and you know he's kind of he seems like the obvious pick but you know as we saw at last year's tour he was basically drafted into the kind of uh Jumbo Visma mountain train and you know did did his best climber impression very well and then obviously also did well on the, the time trial at the end so it's whether he'll be kind of given the the freedom to go for it and I I'm not really convinced that he will uh with Matthew Vanderpool for example again and now a, a template green jersey winner but you know this is his first Tour de France you know we don't really know what he's kind of his forms like over three weeks will he be wanting to do those kind of medium mountain stage raids that are required to win the green jersey i think you know peter sagan perhaps some people think he his career is on the wane a little bit but but he had you know a very good giro d'italia where he obviously won the ciclamino jersey and i think he seems to be coming back into some great form. He's just recently won the Slovakian National Road Race Championships. And, you know, I really, I really like Peter Sagan as a rider. And I think we could basically see him going on, again, his kind of medium mountain stage rain, uh, sort of ranges where he goes with the breakaway, hoovers up loads of points and then finishes in the top three on every single sprint stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know, the, the consistency of Peter Sagan at the, at the Tour de France or just throughout his career is... Unbelievable! It's astounding. Just kind of the, yeah, his consistency from you know across all terrain. Um, so yeah, I mean the green jersey, the, the green jersey race is going to be really interesting this year. And I think you know whilst it certainly isn't won in the first two stages, the fact that those first two stages are are pretty tough will give us you know at least an indication as to who's going to be in the running there of of those three who perhaps might be the favourite. Um, you know, looking at stage one, you've got just counting here: one, two, three, four, five, six categorised climbs, either. Cat four or cat three, finishing with a three kilometer climb at 5.7% at the finish. So, you know, if you're going to be in the green jersey race, that's the kind of stage that you need to be, you need to be winning. Um, and then stage two, you've got the double ascent of the Mud to Britannia as well. So, you know, I think of those three, they'll be the ones to watch over the, those first two stages. And, you know, I think it's going to be a brilliant, brilliant start to the tour because of that. So, okay, we've talked about the GC contenders and the green jersey battle, but I think let's quickly uh, spend a moment on the French hopes for the race because I don't think we've mentioned a, a French rider yet, but this is, of course, the Tour de France and um, you know we haven't had, had a Frenchman win the Tour for 30 years now or more than 30 years. But, you know, Simon, who are the French hopes coming into this year's race? So I think the big French hope is uh, is obviously going to be Julien Alaphilippe of the Turnit Quickstep, you know, obviously current reigning world champion, uh, road race champion, I should say. I, 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 I personally, I can't see him winning the race. I don't think he's quite got the team for it. I think he, he's not, he, you know, he's, whilst he had a, you know, he had a great tour in, in 2019 and rode in the yellow jersey for, you know, a, a number of days before eventually losing it to Igan Bernal. I, 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 he's not really the prototype GC rider. He's, you know, to use a cliche term, he's, he's called, he's too swashbuckling. You know, he likes to kind of waste energy an attack you know he 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 rides in a kind of in and bib shorts and a normal jersey rather than wearing a, a speed suit and 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 that let alone that tongue hanging out i mean god the <laughs> aero losses with that yeah he he doesn't seem to be interested in saving energy in quite the same way as a kind of a, a gc contender really would so whilst i think he's a shoe in for the top 10 and perhaps even a top five position i wonder if he really can be bothered to ride conservatively for a podium or whether he'd actually prefer 
to win a stage in the rainbow jersey and get on the front cover of L'Equipe a couple of times. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I love the thought of him listening to this podcast and going, Simon Bromley from Bike Radar slagging me off for wearing a normal jersey. I'm going to wear a skin suit. <laughs> well, he should do. It, it would save him some energy. Well, there you go. Julian Philippe, you know, he's, yeah, he's, he is always a rider to watch and, you know, has been was it last year? It was just you know fantastic at the Tour de France, but you know swashbuckling—that is definitely the way to describe Alaphilippe. Um, you know, another rider you could perhaps describe that way, not not quite to the same token as Alaphilippe, but someone who certainly likes to attack is Warren Bargui. So, what do you expect to to see from Bargui this year? So, obviously, Bargui riding for Arkea Samsic, uh, and he will be going there, I suppose, as co-leader. I would imagine with Nairo Quintana. I I think he'll probably be given a free range to maybe go for the King of the Mountains jersey. Or to win a stage, I, you know, Warren Buggy was once sort of touted as a perhaps potential GC uh, contender, but I think it's been a, it's been a while since he's really uh, troubled the podium step of a, of a of a Grand Tour. But you know, an excellent climber, former stage winner at the Tour de France, I think, you know, a French King of the Mountain winner would be a popular winner, I think, and yeah, the, you know, the King of the Mountains classification. Is you know it's, it's having a bit of an identity crisis at the moment. I think because it's really it's really tricky to it's often won by the kind of uh, it's almost won by accident by a GC contender because obviously you know if you're in it, if you're going over the climbs first you tend to be in the GC group so it, it's kind of lost a bit of its luster in in a, in a certain way. But if if you know, we saw at the Giro d'Italia for example the GC group often gave this year. The breakaway a little bit more leeway to go after stage wins and if that happens again in the Tour de France then it will be much easier for people to get into the breakaway hoover up king of the mountains points and as long as they're not a kind of threat to the overall classification then hopefully the peloton will give them the kind of license to race and we might see you know a little race in within the race for people going for that king of the mountains classification yeah yeah i think for me that that kind of King of the Mountains race or that kind of race within a race, you know, can really make the Tour de France because it, you know, it doesn't have the GC implications there. It's perhaps not stifled by having the, you know, the kind of um, the weight of the GC on a rider's shoulders. So you can really see some attacking performance performances because of that. But you know, as you say, in recent years, the the King of the Mountains jersey has almost been won by default by whoever wins the GC. So hopefully, we'll kind of see that kind of subplot evolve. And you know, Bargy is definitely going to be one to watch there. Um, and just finally on French Hope, Simon, someone that you described as very slippery on your uh, Twitter page recently, at Simon Bromley, if you don't follow Simon already, <laughs> was um, Benjamin Thomas, I think. Is that his name, Benjamin yeah, Thomas? Benjamin Thomas, so yeah. The, the new, uh, Benjamin Thomas, I should say, the new national time trial champion of France. Um, tell us a bit more about him, Simon, obviously being the, the kind of TT aficionado that you are. So he is a cyclist who rides for uh, Groupama FDJ. And like you say, he recently won the um, French uh, National Time Trial Championship. So a pretty good time trialist. I think, yeah, so he, he I, I've been told by kind of an, ind an industry expert that he was very slippery and then he duly went and won the French Individual Time Trial National Championship. So I think he might have a good shout at winning potentially one of the two time trial stages, which would be obviously a boon for France. Yeah, I, I think that would be that would be interesting. Uh, you know, obviously, like French, the French have you know a kind of reputation within cycling of not perhaps being at the forefront of technology recently, and and, and I think that's a bit unfair. Uh, Groupama <laughs> FDJ is a very well coached team, and I think they perhaps just don't have the budget 
and the clout of some of the bigger teams. And that's perhaps why they haven't done as well in recent years. But it looks like Benjamin Thomas is coming into some really good form just at the right time. And I think it'd be great to see him take one of the individual time trials. Uh, I think similar to the um, the King of the Mountains competition that we were just talking about, it'd be interesting to to see the time trials and, you know, will we see a winner there like Benjamin Tomar from outside of the the kind of GC contenders? Because, you know, as we mentioned at the top, you know, to win the Tour de France, you have to be such a strong all-rounder. You have to be able to climb in the mountains, but also be one of the best general classification uh, or, or one of the best time trialists on the planet. I mean, can you see a scenario, Simon, where... It's one of the GC contenders who wins both both of the time trials. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it, 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 we've already talked about it, I guess, but it could, you know, it, we could quite easily see if Geraint Thomas comes into this race in red hot form, he could quite easily win the two time trials. You know, I remember watching his Tour de France victory in um, 2018, where he looked like he was going to win the final time trial until he nearly lost it going around the corner because he was pushing so hard and then decided I should probably back off here a little bit I've got you know plenty of time in hand I don't need to be taking this many risks um but likewise you know we know Roglic is a superlative time trialist and he has won plenty of time trials in the past you know he had a poor day by his standards but still did very well at the final time trial at the Tour de France last year I think these rolling kind of rolling to flat time trials that we've got this year will suit his kind of aerodynamic position uh, quite well. So I think he's a contender for sure. Tage Pogacar is also a contender. I think Wout van Aert may well, <laughs> he could he could quite easily win both, both time trials. So not a GC contender, but another one to watch in the time trials. So we, we, you know, we've talked about some of the, the French hopes. Let's kind of move on to... Uh... You know, a few more of the British riders involved in this year's Tour de France. And, you know, we've talked about Geraint Thomas obviously being the big GC name and Mark Cavendish back for the sprints this year, Tail Gegenhart in the in the Ineos lineup, but also got Luke Rowe again as road captain for Ineos, Simon Yates, um, you know, potentially another kind of stage win or GC or even King of the Mountains contender. Um, Alex Dowsett for Israel, Connor Swift, Dan McClay, you know, but the big name that we haven't mentioned, of course, is Chris Froome, confirmed as being at the Tour de France for Israel Startup Nation, I think the fact that Froome is even at the Tour was a was a question mark kind of hanging over him this year with the, the way that Froome's form has been. Um, but by the sounds of it, coming into the Tour more of as a kind of road captain, which is a very different role, full stop for, but you know, particularly for a rider of the calibre of, of Chris Froome. So what do you expect to see from Chris Froome at this year's Tour de France? That Yeah, it's a really interesting one. And and. To be to be brutally honest, I'm not expecting too much, and I don't want that to. I'm sure that sounds very harsh, but he just hasn't been anywhere near to his previous best uh, in this last couple of years. And you know, that's fair enough, right? He, he almost, he, you know, he, the injuries that he sustained a couple of years ago were appalling, and, and the fact that he's even made it back to world tour level is amazing, really. But um, I think his I, 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 it's hard to see him offering Mike Woods, who I suppose would be Israel Startup Nation's GC leader. It's hard to see Chris Froome offering too much uh, physical support on the mountain stages. Um, I think it's going to be more of a behind the scenes kind of advice. This is what to do in this situation. Like, you know, here's how to position yourself in the bunch, that sort of thing. Mike, Mike Woods is a, you know, a notably a very talented cyclist, uh, finished second to Garrett Thomas at the Tour of Romandie earlier this year, I believe, and obviously has the engine 
to be a contender, but he's also quite new to the professional peloton. And obviously, you know, well, I say obviously, I don't know, but I <laughs> imagine that, you know, riding, jostling for position in the peloton is probably one of the hardest skills that there is and, you know, can consume a lot of energy that then leaves you with less energy for the climbs if you're not kind of as good as it as you could be. So I think Chris Froome's role, as you say, it, it, it's a road captain's role. The romantic in me would love to see him kind of get into breakaways and be going for stage wins, but he hasn't shown anything like the form that would suggest that he was a good person to bet on. Well, I think, you know, I think firstly, it's, it's brilliant to see Froome at the Tour de France because it means that he is, you know, at least kind of regaining the form to to be starting the race and coming back, as you say, from those injuries that he suffered a couple of years ago most or you know a lot of people may well have retired or not been able to recover from from such a bad crash so it's great to see through him at the Tour de France again but you know a very different role so um you know one to watch but I think there you know there are lots of kind of plots at this year's tour from the GC battle to the King of the Mountains jersey Cavendish being back um you know, potentially seeing what the French riders do and the British riders from our perspective so uh, you know lots to look forward to uh, over the next few weeks so I think now we'll move on to you know some of our tech highlights or tech predictions for this year's Tour de France. You know I think for us at Bike Radio, of course, you know we love watching the race evolve from a racing perspective, but we're also there kind of pouring over the pitches and, and kind of nerding out on the tour from a tech perspective. So I think to kick things off, Jack, the new Shimano Durace group set is we think going to be one of the key talking points from this year's tour. We spotted it on bike radar um, at the Tour of Belgium last week. Uh, you know, that was the first sighting of the new Durace group set. And you can read all about that on bikeradar.com and on our YouTube channel. But I think it goes without saying that it's probably going to be ridden in some capacity at the Tour. Would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. I'd be surprised if not the majority of teams were on it, really. I, I think that if it's being raced in a small race now, they're probably ironing out some small issues ahead of its official release, and I think we'll see nearly everybody on it. Some of the questions will remain whether the likes of Ineos Grenadiers, will they be on a rim brake version of the group set? We don't know yet. Um, there looks to be, and we'll talk about that in a moment, a new Pinarello Dogma F14 coming, and uh, there appears to be a rim brake version of that, but we haven't seen rim brake Durace yet. But I do. I think it's going to be all over the place. It's the uh, biggest shop window in the world for cycling tech and for Shimano to not have a big presence there in terms of new tech would be very surprising, especially given, you know, 9100 came out in 2016 and SRAM has somewhat taken the uh, headlines in terms of new tech in recent years. So absolutely. I think Shimano will be all over the place and we will be keeping our beady eyes as always. In fact, I say we, I mean Simon, <laughs> keeping his beady eyes on uh, every single image uploaded to Getty and yes. the length of the tour. Yeah, I think it will be interesting to see. And, you know, uh, my one, you know, obviously you seem very confident, Jack. My one fear is that, you know, given the supply issues we've seen, you know, throughout the cycling industry recently, that Maybe I'm just worried Shimano won't have enough of it. I don't. I, I don't know. I haven't got anything to suggest. That. I have no idea. But I would question. You know, could they possibly afford to not have it there? Really? Do you know? I think the questions that would be raised about where it is in terms of production. I just. I just think it would be a disaster for them. I think it will be everywhere. That's my guess. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's an interesting one. I'm perhaps not not so confident, and not necessarily you know, because of the supply chain issues that that Simon mentioned, or that you know that could that could be an issue. Yeah, we're talking about Durace here. It's you know it's the best of the best, but you know will teams be wanting to kit out all of their key riders on an unreleased group set? You know, particularly if you are the likes of Ineos Grenadiers, because we haven't seen them riding it in any other race. Will they stick to the tried and tested? Do you think, Simon? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, we know how kind of uh, conservative some professional riders can be you know the kind of <laughs> the stickiness of tubular tires to make a pun about it like kind of shows how they are reticent to kind of adopt new technology unless they can be absolutely certain that it's going to work and it's not going to go wrong on them and, and obviously the last thing what any of them want to do is have a kind of mechanical that they think they're going to blame on a you know a malfunctioning derailleur or something because they will say oh it was this group you know mm-hmm. beside the fact that it could have happened with any group set in the world like they would say oh i can't believe it was this brand new derailleur i put on my bike what a joke so yes i'm sure sh- i'm sure we i'm absolutely sure we will see it but whether we'll see it on every single team i'm not so sure i don't know it's a good point it does somewhat raise the question why we saw it at the tour of belgium you know it's a small race i, I can't say i'd followed it very closely until uh, we spotted it on getty uh, this year but it does raise the question why it was there in the first place. You know, why in particular with Team DSM as well? I know they have a very close relationship in their prior incarnations with Shimano, but what's the purpose of it being out in the wild out at this point? It might just be something to do with making it UCI legal in the sense that you have yeah. to have it raced, you know, a bit like with the Hope HPT track bike. In order for something to be officially UCI legal, it has to have been raced at a, at a UCI race. And so it's just a case of kind of like, you know, to avoid any issues of a team turning up at the Tour de France and a commissaire going, hold on, this is, this is a new piece of tech. We've not approved this. And it hasn't, has it been raced before? No, it hasn't. So, well, no, you can't use that because that would obviously be an embarrassing situation. <laughs> it would be an embarrassing situation. <laughs> so yeah. it, it, it could be something to do with that. Uh, but, you know, like I think like George said, you know, it's, it, it, you know, not to diss the Tour of Belgium, but it's not the most important race on the professional calendar. So it may have just been that for the first time when you're using something new, you do it in a test race and 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 yeah perhaps if if team Ineos or you know Jumbo Visma if they haven't had a chance to ride it in a previous maybe slightly slightly less important race then maybe they will say well you know we can just stick with what we've got for now because it's what we know of course maybe the teams have just been very good at keeping everyone under wraps on social media despite our best attempts to <laughs> catch them out and they've all been using it for the past yeah. however long it's entirely possible i think it's worth saying as well that you know the pictures that we did have from from the tour of belgium you know to us it didn't quite look like the chain set was a finished production model so you know maybe there are kind of a few supply chain or kind of um uh, manufacturing issues to to kind of iron out there but you know that would be one to watch will we see a more finished looking chain set at the tour de france and how widespread will the the new juries be um you know i don't think we'll, we'll talk about the new juries too much because we do have the story on biteradar.com we do have the video on on our youtube channel and there is also a new podcast or there will be a podcast about the new jury. So if you want to find out exactly what we think it will be, then listen to that. Um, but Jack, to move on, you mentioned there potentially a new Pinarello that we've spotted over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, at the moment, we don't know too much about this bike. We can just guess by what we've seen from the pictures. Although by the time this podcast goes out, we might know a little bit more. But at this stage, what can you tell us about the new Pinarello? And you know, we think it's going to be called the F14. Well, looking at it compared to the previous incarnation, the F12, there doesn't appear to be a great deal that's changed. We're talking very, very subtle changes, and it is a bit of a blink and you'll miss it. Um, really, the biggest changes are at the rear end, where we've seen the 
kind of seat stay, seat tube junction modified. And on the down tube, am I right in saying, Simon, the, the uh, kind of signature stepped down tube to hide the bottles from the wind has also been modified slightly? Yeah. So on the current Pinarello Dogma F12, the seat tube is a kind of large truncated aerofoil. It comes down from the head tube and then it steps uh, kind of down a little bit just to make a little cutout for the bottle. So the bottle nestles nice inside the down tube and hopefully that's, that smooths the, air, smooths the airflow around it. And then on the F12, after below the bottle, the down tube then steps down again towards the bottom bracket area. But on the new bike, the down tube steps back up and then continues down to the bottom bracket area. And then, like you say, other than that, then it's the kind of the seat stay junctions that have been redesigned. Now, we spotted Richard Carapaz riding this at the Tour de Suisse, and George wrote an excellent article on it, which you should also <laughs> read on bikeradar.com. But I have to say, I've been poring over the images of this bike, and it, it you know, obviously with a carbon fiber bike, you know, what goes on beneath the surface of the paint job is also very important. And maybe they have made, you know, massive changes to the carbon layup that mean it is stiffer, it is lighter, more vertically compliant. Well, you straight bike marketing coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously we won't be able to tell that uh, from the pictures, but it does seem like a very minor update. And so it will be, you know, whenever it does launch, presumably at some point soon, because they wouldn't be riding it otherwise, I guess. But um, it'll be really interesting to see what Pinarello has to say for it. And I imagine... I wonder if there'll be bigger changes to the disc brake version. Yeah, on beautiful segue, Simon, because I was going to say one place that it is notable, that it is business as usual, is there appears to be a rim brake version of the bike. You know, manufacturers in 2021 bringing out new top-end rim brake bikes is extraordinarily rare, and it's very well documented that Ineos Grandiers still are very, very much on the rim brake bandwagon. I imagine we'll see more of them on disc brakes perhaps this year, but to see a you know a brand at the kind of cutting edge of tech coming out with a rim brake bike is very unusual and i'm sure it makes lots of people very happy yeah it is interesting you know of course that is also one of the tech talking points from from post pro cycling full stop but particularly the tour de france is the fact that most teams have moved to disc brakes but Ineos grenadiers does appear to be the you know one of the outliers or the only outlier sticking to rim brakes and again that appears to be the case even with this new pinarello so you know, I think often this this kind of disc brake versus rim brake kind of battle or kind of faux battle gets gets pitched. And, um, you know, particularly in recent years, we've seen that, you know, disc brakes have won the tour, disc brakes haven't won the tour as, as the case has been, and it's been rim brakes. But, you know, this is a very spicy question to kind of drop in this late in the podcast, Simon, but <laughs> does it matter what braking system a pro rider is using? You know, I'm not a pro, so it's really, you know, I'm not speaking from experience, but you know, as someone who rides quite a few bikes, like I do think disc brakes are better at braking in the wet. And if I was descending, having to descend mountain passes in the rain, I would much rather have disc brakes. And, you know, often you do in the Tour de France, you do have to descend mountain passes in the rain. Um, personally, I think the kind of, you know, the kind of influence that pro cyclists put on weight is far too great. And I think that the the 500 or you know maybe 300 400 grams weight penalty it, it's it's not a big deal in my opinion you know i'm a very lightweight guy and i can tell you that being light doesn't make you a fast <laughs> rider so but it was you know i spoke to diego costa who was the lead mechanic at, at team ineos at the tour de france last year again you can that was, that was in a podcast and you can listen to that 
his their their reasoning for it was nothing to do with braking really it was more to do with the fact that it's more easy to swap a wheel with a teammate so in a situation where you have a puncture you need to stop and give your wheel to a team leader that's much easier if you're on a rim brake bike with quick releases now of course you could just say well you know carry an allen key or something but they don't want to do that because it weighs 10 grams for me like braking on carbon rims in the wet is terrible and i it, that for me that would be such a disadvantage that it would be worth the the weight penalty but you know they they've won the tour de france a lot more than i have <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, and we couldn't we talked about this in a, in a separate podcast we've recorded around uh tour de france climbs and we you know within that we've touched upon descending as well obviously what goes up has to come down and you know these are the best riders in the world climbing at the fastest speeds in the world but also descending at you know insane speeds so you know perhaps what they need from their bike is different to what we need so you know it'll be interesting to watch that Ineos Grenadier story and see you know will that team ever switch to disc brakes the way the market's going you'd imagine so but well watch this space just interesting just to pick up on Duras and and the, and the kind of question you raise there around kind of mechanics and you know how teams work on bikes you know perhaps that's another reason why it was at the Tour of Belgium to get that kind of real world feedback from mechanics in a race situation so um yeah again we'll see whether that's uh more prevalent at the Tour de France, but, you know, new Duras is coming. I think we can say that now. So uh, definitely one of the talking points from a tech perspective at this year's Tour. So I think just briefly, Simon, one of the other bikes we've spotted recently, a new as yet unreleased um, model is from Merida. Um, looks to be a new Sculptura. So can you kind of tell us a bit more you know, about what we know about that so far? Yep. So obviously the Sculptura is Merida's uh, lightweight kind of all-round road bike. And... They also have the Merida Reacto, which is their kind of dedicated aero bike. But, you know, again, uh, uh, you know, the pros are obsessed with weight and a lot of them, they just, they won't ride the aero bike on a mountain stage because they think it's too heavy for a mountain stage. It's going to slow them down. Even, even if the boffins sort of say, no, it's faster, they'll, they don't, they won't believe it. They'll ride the lightweight bike. And so what brands are increasingly doing, and, you know, this is a trend we've seen more broadly uh, across the industry, you know, with specialized releasing the kind of tarmac that killed the Venge and, you know, similar bikes from, you know, a few other people like them brands are making their lightweight bikes more aero. And so the new, uh, which I believe, as I believe it's a sculpture, as, as we said, it's a kind of slimmed down reacto. So it uses camtail, which are kind of chopped off aerofoil tubes, uh, like, but they're much slimmer than on the reacto. And then it has Dropped seat stays at the back. It's like you're reading off a cue sheet there, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's it's it really kind of follows that kind of BMC team machine, S Works tarmac, Cannondale Super Six. Like it is a bit paint by numbers, really. It's nothing yeah. extraordinary in terms of like new or spicy tech, but it did quite well. It did uh, was piloted to yeah. two wins at the Dauphiné. That's right. Yeah, by Mark Padun of Bahrain Victorious. He won the final two uh, stages on that bike. So, uh, you know, must be good. an amazing bike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you know, like you say, we, we're kind of joking, but that formula is kind of tried and tested. And, and I think, obviously, Merida has to make a bike that's, that sells and is fast and this this bike looks good you know it looks very it's, it's following the trends but then i think that you know we do want as consumers and as bike testers we do want a bike that's kind of lightweight is fast it's comfortable it has clearance for big tires you know like it, it's going to tick all of those boxes so it probably is going to be an excellent bike even if 
it perhaps doesn't set our hearts aflutter. Well, maybe not yours, Simon, but I think it looks rather cool. <laughs> well, I, I think there's something that we can definitely say will set Simon's heart aflutter, and that <laughs> is the time trial tech at the 2021 Tour de France. And you know, we mentioned the time trials and the importance of time trials in this year's tour when we were talking about the general classification race, but also really important from a tech perspective. And I think, you know, we, we've seen a few new bikes or a few new time trial bikes in recent weeks from Cannondale and Canyon and Trek. But I think also really interesting, Simon, to look at the kind of custom components and, uh, you know, custom kit and the work that's going in into time trial position and, and how that's all part of the complete package when it comes to time trials. So, you know, with the GC battle potentially being so tight this year, you know, how important is tech within the time trial setup in a team? It's massive, yeah, and and I think, like like you say, it, because you know in a time trial you're you're on your own and there's no kind of there's no one to break the wind for you. There's no team, so you, if you have a bad time trial, you can lose minutes. You know, even over the course of as you say, 58 kilometers in this in this year's Tour de France, like that's such a short amount of of distance relative to the overall route. But if you don't get it right, you could really lose time, and so and and because of that you know it's one of those areas where you can throw money at the race and really kind of make optimizations and so all of the top riders will be using kind of custom aero bars which hide which kind of aim to you know direct the wind the wind around their forearms all of, all of those things but there'll be you know custom skin suits as well and obviously you know we uh, by radar, we focus a lot on the frames, and you know we'll see new frames like the new Canyon Speedmax, the UCI legal, legal version. There's been a new Cannondale uh, Super Slice time trial bike spotted recently, as well as a new Track Speed concept. I imagine we will see those. But the difference between time trial bikes at the top end is probably quite small. You know, the UCI rules, you know, restrict what you can do to a certain extent, and so we don't see the kind of wild designs that you might see in triathlon or at least not on the road anyway. Obviously the track, you have the Hope HBT, and, but I don't think we're going to see anything like that, although that would be a story. <laughs> no, I'd be a busy boy then. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but for your body is the biggest thing in the wind. You know, they kind of make, the rider makes up around, according to the most recent studies, around 80% of the drag in the total rider plus bike system. So anything you can do to improve the airflow over your body, whether that's through positioning or custom skin suits, can be massive and so yeah every, every gc rider worth their salt will have spent a long time having their position refined i have no basis whatsoever for this uh suggestion but i think in previous weeks we've seen the uci move to ban things like it's a crazy set of handlebars that was the brand called the speedco. speedco really long reach bars we saw um funny fairing end caps from aero coach were mm. also banned and then previously it was the super sapiens um like like glucose monitor, you know, custom kit has become, I would say, quite critical to winning uh, time trials or certainly being competitive in them. Do you think, given the importance of them this year, maybe we're going to see more of a crackdown on those uh, custom components, which technically should be available to the, the public? Well, so, you know, the, it's, these, these things sit in a really interesting grey area for the UCI rules because technically they are available to the public, you know, so Pinarello... Uh, Bolide time trial bikes have uh, handlebars made by Most, which is Pinarello's brand, and they use. Uh, they were one of the first brands to do it. They use three D printed titanium to make custom custom uh, aero bars, 
And if you go on Pinarello's website, you know, there's a kind of like, oh, if you would like one of these handlebars, mm -hmm. just contact your local Pinarello dealer who um, no doubt has a 3D printing machine yeah. ready and waiting to make these. And, you know, you know, it, there are other brands like uh, Watchshop, for example, have been supplying Israel Startup Nation. And, you know, those are available to the public. Uh, Speedbar and L make uh, time trial extensions for a lot of the big riders like Tajay Pogacar. Pogacar. Uh, so, you know, you could buy those. Mm. You might have to sit on a waiting list for a few years, but unless you're, you know, Primoz Roglic. And the same with the skin suits, you know, Castelli skin suits are technically available, but they're just very expensive to get the ones that Team Sky use. Now, or Team Ineos, Grenadiers, sorry. Um, you know, what isn't available necessarily are things like the kind of, so, so I've spotted Ineos Grenadiers using base layers which have uh kind of ribs built into the sleeves because a couple of years ago the uci changed the rules on surface level modifications to fabrics of skin suits because there was a uh, team skies at the, as they were at the time were using vortex generating dimples on their skin suits and they dominated the time trial and the uci decided that that was bad i reckon my, one of my predictions for the tour i think we'll see at least one high profile uci tech ban that's my that's one of my predictions and it'll be really juicy I, you know, I think the interesting thing about it is, you know, what, what I find frustrating is the same with the kind of glucose monitoring thing. And, and as you say, the AeroCoach hub, hub caps and, you know, Lotto Sudal trialed a while ago. They trialed using kind of gel, which had microbeads in it, and they were rubbing it on their legs to kind of like, you know, create a little bit of extra surface turbulence and reduce their aerodynamic drag. But the UCI always seems to be playing catch up. And then, go, you know, the, the AeroCoach wheels, for example, were UCI legal and had been being mm. used for a long time and then all of a sudden the like the UCI just came along on one day and said that's banned yeah <laughs> and they same with the you know the sort of super sapiens thing you know people have been using it in, in training and racing and and then all of a sudden UCI comes along and just seems to be arbitrarily say that's banned it's bad for teams you know investing in this tech but also it's bad for the sport as well where brands might be investing heavily in trying to break into the cycling market and spending their marketing money in cycling so I'm sure it's very, very frustrating for them. But hey, makes good content for uh, cycling websites like us. <laughs> <laughs> well, but this is the this is the problem, right? If 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 the UCI is going to keep doing this, you know, uh, so I think Super Sapiens, who make those blood glucose level monitors, they have just signed a deal with the ITU, the International Triathlon Union, and I'm sure that they're now going to just focus their kind of efforts on that sphere. And if you can't, you know, I love time trials and I love a time trial bike, but it's become, you know, time trial, UCI legal time trial bikes is becoming, uh, who buys those? Mm. You know, even if you're a time trialist, time trialist in the UK, which is one of the, you know, the homes of time trialing, you don't have to ride a UCI legal time trial bike. You can turn up. On I don't any, think I've ridden any UCI legal time no, trial exactly. bikes. The ones I've done have all been crazy. <laughs> you can turn up on any kind of, you know, like full bongo triathlon bike and it's perfectly fine. And, and so I'm not sure what the incentive is for a Canyon or a Trek mm. or a Cannondale to carry on making and investing heavily in time trial bikes and kit for time trials. So it comes, so it then comes down to the teams investing the money in the research themselves to do things like skin suits and wheels and tire testing and all those kind of little things that maybe the brands aren't going to do because it's, you know, it's not a big deal for them, but the teams with the bigger budgets, you know, the UCI is trying to level the playing field, but maybe they're actually favoring the teams with the bigger budgets who can afford to do this regardless of whether they're yeah. yeah regardless of whether their sponsors are going to do it 
I think, you know, the, the whole kind of, uh, you know, evolution of time trial tech and, you know, everything that goes into that from the bike to position and components and kit, you know, is really interesting. And, you know, it's a topic that we're going to delve into in a lot more detail through this year's Tour de France. I think we've got a specific episode planned ahead of the, the final time trial where we will look at some of the key contenders, what they're riding and just the kind of minute detail that teams and riders do go into in order to be competitive. Um, but I think to wrap up, I was going to ask each of you for your trend or kind of prediction for this year's Tour de France, you know, your tech trend. You know, Jack, you've perhaps mentioned yours there, not something that you'll likely see, but the, the the fact that the UCR might ban something. You know, is there anything else that you'd kind of throw into the mix? Oof. Um I don't think we're going to see a great deal of new stuff. I think you know, Duras is out there. I think it will be there. But in terms of like fresh, fresh new tech, no, not necessarily. So I think it will be at the pointy end of the race, we'll see more riders looking at things like, well, the Simon Bromley model, we'll call it narrower bars, faster tires, skin suits, perhaps a bit more of a focus on the the optimization of their overall riding package. Uh, you know, I think cycling media has moved and has become more interested in that. And I've no doubt that riders will be, perhaps more conservative riders will be paying attention to some of those underdog successes, we'll call it. So I think, yeah, more optimization. That's that's my general trend. And Simon, how about you? What can you? Uh, what are you looking forward to seeing at the Tour de France? Uh, yeah, it's 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 a really it's a really tricky one. I think like, if I was going to make a kind of tech prediction, I would say that the neither of the time trials will be won on tubulars. Wow, that's very specific. Yeah, because you know I think you know in the mountain stages everyone will be riding tubulars till, but we have seen such. The shift to tubeless and clinchers in time trials has been pretty massive and it has been very rapid. There's another nice little punch. That was good. That was very good. Well done. <laughs> uh, in the kind of past few seasons, because everyone has seen the data and they've realized that they're faster. So I can't remember the last time a, a like a big time trial was won on tubulars and it won't, it won't happen. Unless I suppose maybe Roglic would be riding Victoria courses when he was with couple of years ago but i yeah that would someone be my, will tell you you're wrong if you're wrong don't that, worry. That, yeah if i'm wrong i'll be wrong but that would be my prediction that neither of the time trials will be won on tubulars well can you go one step further and would you say tubeless or clinches i would say probably tubeless but just based on who i think the teams are going to be i think they'll be sponsored by i think the, the riders who will win will probably be sponsored by vittoria who make the excellent course of speed if it's a specialized rider then they'll be riding turbo cotton clinches i suppose well, if it's Ineos, they'll be riding continental clinches, I'd say. But it's hard. It's, it's kind of sometimes it's hard to tell with the TT wheels because it's hard to see the kind of the telltale valve nut that holds a tubeless valve into the rim. I can't always see, but I do. I do know that actually. Well, talking about UCI rules, Ineos have continental time trial tires which have the gp4000 tread on them, which is supposedly very aerodynamic, and those are not available to mere punters. Maybe you should write to them. They probably send you some. You're pretty influential. In well, that no. Sphere. Well, I'm going to write to the UCI and get them banned. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to leave things before we kind of delve too deep into mm. the UCI bashing. That's not <laughs> kind of territory we want to be going into. Um, yeah, especially Jack, as the editor, George, you'd have to deal with it as well. <laughs> well, exactly. It's my it's my head that's on the block. So I'm going to quickly conclude this podcast. Um, Jack, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very much, George. And Simon, thank you very much for joining us today. Loved it. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. 
As ever, don't forget to subscribe to the Bike Radar podcast on your usual podcast provider and leave us a comment or some feedback on the article that will accompany this podcast. We've got plenty more coming through the Tour de France in this podcast series, so please do tune in. That's it for now. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.